Hello, my golf friends, and welcome back to Above Par. I am so glad that you're here. I hope you had a wonderful Thanksgiving. If you celebrate Thanksgiving in the United States and you're getting ready for the holiday season. So I have some special podcasts lined up for you for this holiday season. And most of them are going to be interviews with some of my clients or people that I've worked with. And the reason I wanted to interview them was to share with you their insights and their growth and how they've transformed their games and their life off of the golf course using some of the tools that you can hear right in this podcast and with working with me. And my hope was that you could relate to it on a different level versus me just telling you my experience and sharing with you all the content. I wanted you to hear firsthand on how people are using those tools and changing the way they show up on and off the golf course. So my first interview is with Holly Peel. She's from Minnesota and Arizona. And you're going to hear how she created so much more peace around the game where she dealt with her perfectionism and people pleasing. And it all started with her driver and struggling to get it off of the tee, especially on those forced carry holes in the desert. So I think you're really going to enjoy this interview with Holly. Let's get to it. So hi, Holly. Thanks for coming on the podcast today. Hey, Kathy. Thanks for having me. Yeah. Just so everybody knows, we've worked together for a while and I want you just to share some things about what you got out of working together. And I think you really had a lot of amazing feedback that I think will help a lot of people, but we really started with you struggling with your driver. You were struggling to get off the tee a little bit with your driver. Yeah. We kind of laughed because I could not hit driver off the tee to save my soul. And I remember our first meeting, you said, what do you think on the first tee? And I said, Jesus, take the grip. And I just... (laughs) I had, I could not control, I could not hit the driver off the tee. And it was interesting because I listened to one of your podcasts. I had been online and I I purchased like a mental uh, self-directed mental golf program on your website and noticed you had a a podcast. And so I found you in the podcast. Um, You had a a podcast with a guy who couldn't get off the tee. It really, it really gave me hope. And so then I reached out to you and called you and said, you know, I realize this is much more complicated or deeper than, than I think, mm-hmm. you know, I really need some help. Yes. I remember you shifting your thoughts. And one of the things that Adam did was in the podcast, I talk about it is we started believing without evidence. And I remember you communicating with me after tournaments and how for you, the whole idea of just hitting the fairway was going to be a win at the time you're playing in, um, Scottsdale. So getting over the crap or the gunk or you had a term for it. I can't remember what it was. And but, the shit, yeah, exactly. Just getting over that shit. And yeah. so the, the little wins along the way of just going out and hitting a couple more fairways and then hitting like three more fairways. And we're just building on those wins until you got to the point where you're like, I'm a pretty good driver of the ball. Yeah. So for me, it started when you taught me that thoughts, create emotions, create actions, we create results and trying to find a thought that I actually believed in Mm -hmm. because that was pretty deep seated in me that I couldn't get off the tee with the driver. And so my first initial thought was, um, the start of a round was, you know, maybe I could hit a fairway today. Yeah. And that was actually a thought that I, that I could believe. I don't even think at the time I could have believed maybe I could hit three fairways. Yes. And so that first time I went out and I was on the first tee and I thought, well, maybe I can hit a fairway today. Well, I duffed it in the shit. Then on the second hole, I did it. You know, I said the same thing. And that day I hit 13 fairways, you know, just with that simple thought that, that I truly did believe it. I thought, yeah, I could probably hit a fairway today. Right. 
Right. And that's where we had to start, right? It was finding that place, which is, which you make such a good point, which I think a lot of people can relate to is that we're like, I just can't even believe I can hit a fairway. And this is what our brain, you know, buys into it. And sometimes because we have that thought, we go out and produce the evidence because our brain likes to be right. And all that does is dig that thought in deeper and deeper and deeper. So that when I offer you up the opportunity to think that, well, maybe you can hit a fairway today. And the resistance is, when you, when you say it to yourself, noticing really, I, I kind of do that scale of one to 10, like how much do you believe it? If your brain still wants to spit it out in disbelief, then we have to keep finding those little ladder thoughts along the way that resonate with you, right? And you found the one that was, you know, I probably can hit a fairway today, or maybe I can hit a fairway today. And in spite not having immediate evidence, sticking with the thought, that's the biggest challenge. Sticking with that, that plan. You know, actually going into the round with a mental game plan was huge for me. Yes. Versus being at the effect of your round because you'd miss a shot or you'd miss a tee shot. And then there'd be a snowball effect of all kinds of things that come along besides just being disappointed and having your brain go, here we go again. Also all the thoughts that we had about other people in the group too, about what they're thinking and hearing even the, their conversation about like even feeling sorry for you a little bit, right? struggling. Well, that was so hard too, because part of my issue was when I'd be on the tee, I was so worried about what other people thought. Mm-hmm. You know, I had the, I, the bubble over their head is like, you know, she's kind of a big loser off the tee. She never can get off the tee. And that I was sabotaging myself. Yes. And I learned that my marker was actually outside of myself, mm-hmm. where really my marker should be inside myself. I should be happy if I can hit one fairway and not yes. worry about what other people think. Yeah. So that was huge for me too, because when I made my mental game plan, I kind of decide to shift and say, you know what, I don't really give, I don't really give a rat's ass what people think. Yeah. And I don't mean that negative towards the people like they're evil. I meant that I'm not going to waste my poker chips on what other people could be thinking of me because I cannot control that. I have no idea what they're actually thinking. Yeah. And what that was a you? huge shift for me. Huge yeah. shift. I don't give a rat's ass. And to finally to realize to have my own back Hmm. because I was really hard on myself. You know, if, if someone had my issue as a friend, I would have been there to support them and help them say, yes, you can. I've seen you do it on their driving range. You can do it. But yet I would never give myself that same compassion and grace. Right. I'd be like, you are such a loser. No one wants to play golf with you. I don't even believe people sign up with you. I mean, right. I was really hard on myself. Right. Which feels so crappy. It makes the whole golf experience not fun anymore. And I know we talked about that too, is just going out there and and enjoying playing golf, enjoying saying yes to go out there and playing golf versus going out and dreading the round. And a lot of times the reason that we dread the round is because of how we beat the crap out of ourselves during the round. I mean, that's probably 90% of it is that we just beat the shit out of ourselves over bad shots and what other people are thinking and we shame ourselves. And at the end of the round, you know, we sign up for golf and there's a chance that we're going to be disappointed when we play, but it's also what we make it mean at the end of the round and how long we feel crappy about it. That really affects our whole experience and the amount of pressure we put on ourselves to actually perform. That's so true. I mean, the whole round I'd beat myself up and then I would beat myself up after the round. And then I would dread going to the next round. That's part of the reason, you know, I reached out to you because I, I lost the enjoyment of golf. I really did. Yeah. You know, I was honestly thinking I'd be better off finding a different hobby. Yeah. 
But you live in a golf community. <laughs> I know. I know. It's like it's in my backyard. Yeah, exactly. That was a tough one. I always tell people too, and you bring up a great point. It's about doesn't matter what it is going on in your life. I would much rather you learn how to manage your thoughts around golf and then decide if you want to, to leave and quit versus changing your situation, leaving golf because you can't manage your mind. And that's where we're really, we gain a lot of control, whether it's a relationship, a job, or, you know, just a, leaving a party or quitting golf. It's first build up that muscle. Cause otherwise you're going to take that same brain with you to the next thing that you do. If you decide to become like a, you know, pickleball is my sport. Now you're going to have that same brain. You're still going to worry about what other people think. You're still going to shame yourself. You're still going to disappoint yourself. And then you're going to end up having a bad experience and you're going, okay, no more pickleball. I'm going to start you know, knitting, right? It doesn't matter. You're going to go to knitting and you're going to decide the same thing because you have the same brain with you. So always first learn how to manage your brain around that and then decide, okay, I can play golf and I can still feel good about it. I can manage all my thoughts around it and I don't want to play. Fine. Yeah. Then you walk away as your own decision instead of just quitting. And then that's a fail. Then you're a failure. If you have any perfectionism in you, that's a big fail. Yes. Yeah. You know, and the perfectionism was, is easy to, to identify. We talked about how I couldn't walk through my living room without straightening the pillows. Yeah. Or, or karate chopping a pillow, right? The karate chop the pillows <laughs> and my kids coming to visit crumbs on the countertop. It, it would just, I'd have to go wipe it up. And so to be able to identify that behavior and decide, is that something that I do? So I look good to other people. Mm-hmm. Or is that something I do because it, it means a lot to me? Mm-hmm. So looking at these individual behaviors and some, you know what, it just, it makes me feel better. Others was, well, yeah, what if someone stopped by and the house was a mess? So being able to take that perfectionism and look at each piece of it and say, well, that's just serving me or that's, that's more superficial and um, uh, fear of judgment. Yeah. You said that awesome because I described to people, we might not be perfectionist everywhere. We might be perfectionist in certain areas of our life, such as, and I think I made this analogy first with you. It's like someone comes in my house and I'm having a party and I'm, I'm so worried about everything being perfect. And then someone will tell me, but my closet's a mess. So I'm not a perfectionist. I'm like, that's not true because nobody's going to go in your closet. But if someone came to your house and the house was perfect because you wanted it quote unquote perfect, because then you think that you can avoid any judgment or shame or disappointment or embarrassment or rejection, right? That's our indicator of perfectionism. And if someone said, let's go look at her closet. And if you wanted to like basically throw up at that moment, right, then you right. know that it's not necessarily that you're not a perfectionist. It's that you're, you didn't think anybody was going to see your closet or your bathroom or look underneath your bed or whatever it is. I'm just making an analogy. And that's exactly how you differentiate. It's a difference between being I want it this way because I like the way I feel. I don't want it this way because I'm trying to avoid feeling a certain way or judgment from other people. Well, and that goes back to your marker being outside yourself. Yeah. And so if people say, oh my gosh, your, your house is perfect. It's clean. And your meal was this. And, and they're singing accolades about you. So I could feel good about myself. And that was a real eye opener. Yes. Like, no, I want that marker in my own parameters and my own self. And I don't want to depend on other people's opinion of me so I can feel good about myself. 
So that's such a good point. So now connect it for everybody because they might not be a perfectionist necessarily about how the house looks or the meals are. They could be at work or in different areas of life or how they maybe work out or keep their car. It doesn't matter. But tell me, tell everybody rather how that has anything to do with golf. How do you tie those two together for you? Well, I think it's kind of in the performance in that you, you hit a good drive and people say, oh, great drive. That's awesome. And, you know, I get to feel good about myself because they said, and they, you know, it's a good drive right. or good shot or good round or good score or good par or good that. When they get quiet, then I don't get to feel good about myself because <laughs> maybe there was disapproval there. Right. So that's kind of that marker outside yourself. And I think I told you once I was playing in a guest day and there was a caddy and I was finishing up on the driving range and I knew the second hole was a par three and I needed my nine iron because was 105 yards or whatever. And I hit a great nine iron, a great trajectory. I was on the practice range and I put my club down and the caddy said, well, you can't end on that shot. And I remember thinking, but that was a good shot. And he didn't think it was a good shot. So then I didn't think it was a good shot. And that's another example where that marker was outside myself. That threw my entire round. Yeah. That one comment, which now when I have you or had worked with you, I would have never let that bother me. I would have said that was a damn good shot. You know, zip it, mister. Yeah, right. Exactly. You question everything at that moment. You're like, wait, wasn't that good? I need to hit another shot so the caddy's happy. Right. It's like a ridiculous way of thinking when we pull it apart. Right. But we get so wrapped up into our own story, especially if we are a perfectionist or we're a people pleaser or we are using that validation outside of ourselves. We are at the effect of our environment and the people we play with and the people we're around all the time. And it's just a place of feeling out of control. Right. Yeah. How your day is going to go. Because I always say how you do one thing, you do everything. So it's going to show up in areas off of your life or off the golf course, rather in your life. So share with everybody how you use the tools and incorporate them into different things in your life. Oh gosh. In in so many ways. Um, in matter of fact, in just the last week, I had two instances, one being this podcast, because I was starting to feel nervous like a day or two out. And I thought, well, you know, what are my nerves about? And so you have the method, the junk drawer method mm-hmm. that, that you teach. And so I just dumped everything out on a page and I had a plus sign and a minus sign. And, and you know, what, what are the pluses and one of the minuses and the minuses are like, well, I don't want to disappoint Kathy mm-hmm. and which is people pleasing. And another minus is I was afraid I'd freeze up. Like you'd mm-hmm. ask me a question and I'd just be in the, what did you say? The back of my brain. Yeah. So then I had that fear you know, fear that I wasn't going to answer questions articulately or even say the word. But then I looked at each of those, each of those negatives and threw them out, mm-hmm. but also had to kind of pivot and shift it. Like, yeah. well, we're talking about my life experience. I know it more than anybody else. How am I going to freeze over that? You know, right. and I'm very comfortable talking to you. I don't think um, I've learned so much for you from you. I can't really disappoint you, you know, so I I shifted and became very comfortable to be able to sit down and um, talk with you about it. So that was a good. Yeah, super good. That's taken that technique that I encourage people to use on the golf course. And you can use it anywhere before conversations, before podcasts. And you know enough to know that you aren't responsible for my feelings of disappointment, right? I'm responsible for my feeling with what I decide to think. And yeah, 
and you just showing up. And when we do get in the back part of our brain, you know, when we have speeches, I did this when I had a speech, I just totally was worried that I was going to forget everything and my brain was going to freeze, which is just like on the golf course where we can feel like we make stupid mistakes when we're feeling under pressure. Our brain's just designed to do that. And when we can use those tools to get back up to our front part of our brain, then we can think clearly and we really reduce the stress. So that was, that was, an awesome use of the junk drawer technique. <laughs> See, I love you never that know technique. what I'm going to throw at you, right? Right. No, I love that <laughs> technique. Yeah. And then the other one was I was going out to dinner with two of my really good girlfriends to celebrate one of their birthdays. And I did not want to drink. And I, I had this sinking feeling. I couldn't identify what it was. Was it angst? Was it dread? Was it? And so I, um, was kind of trying to look at that a little deeper. And the first thing I realized was I didn't want to disappoint my friend because, you know, that whole party atmosphere is kind of important to her and that she would think that I didn't find her birthday worthy Mm -hmm. of me not having that celebratory alcohol, you know, Mm -hmm. Um, which I realized once again is people pleasing. And then I was worried about judgment because I kind of on a health journey and um, I was fear of that judgment coming from them. And then finally, it was still was, I didn't really feel like I've gotten to the real core of it. I think it was all pieces. And then I was thinking about how when you're in that situation and you're all drinking, you're, there's like this, like alcohol was providing a connection. Yeah. And I kind of had this feeling. And then when I thought about it, I'm like, well, alcohol isn't a connection at all. Right. So I was kind of shifting that thought, but it was kind of like getting kicked out of the tribe where you've talked about that fear of getting kicked out of the tribe. Yeah, right. And then the real underlying thing was the fear of failure that I would actually go and cave. Yeah. And that's where we we don't trust ourselves. That's actually, that has a lot to do with confidence too, is the more that we can keep our word to ourselves, have those moments, whether it's on the golf course or not, whether you're out there, you know, committing to a seminar and you keep your word to your club selection or on your decision, same thing here with going out with your friends. And then you make a decision, keep your word to it. Then you start building up this trust in yourself and that little fear of failure thing will go away. But it is so interesting to see the patterns on how different areas of your off golf course life, the people pleasing is there and how it showed up on the golf course. And so once you have one of the tools, once you start recognizing it, when it's on the course, you can use it off the course and vice versa. Actually, when I coach people, I would coach about things on and off the golf course because they're all connected. So connected. Yeah. And to be in that more observer, you say be a scientist and be in that observer role and just kind of does step back and really observe it and and name your feelings and try to get through it has been um, really powerful. Yeah. Where we we don't judge ourselves. The more we can witness it, though, go like, oh, this is the part where I start people pleasing again. We have these tendencies, right? And we, we can notice them, then we don't stay in that role for very long. Exactly. Yeah. Well, if you've ever seen my bracelets that I have, Holly created those and brought them out when I went to Arizona one time and they have become a thing now. I send to a lot of my clients. So WWKS, what would Kathy say? And I genuinely, I, I had a bracelet made up because that was kind of my mantra. You know, if I hit a bad shot or I duffed it in the desert, I'd say, okay, what would Kathy say? Well, okay. And it right. just kind of got my, my thoughts back on track to making my thought one step closer to self-confidence versus mm-hmm. a step back to self-loathing. <laughs> 
Right. And then it'll turn into like, you searched for me for a source of what I might say. And then the source becomes you like, what do I want to say? Right. Mm -hmm. And it's like, it was a good little stepping stone. Of course, there's going to be moments where you're like, we get blindsided and you're like, going, all right, I, I'm, I wasn't prepared for this. Like what would Kathy say kind of thing is going to be useful, but you always have the answers inside of you once you kind of train your brain and start thinking intentionally, because when they come from you, then they're so much more believable versus when you borrow them from somebody else. And now you are so much more the creator of your experience on the golf course than being at the effect of it now, because you have such a powerful brain. Yeah. It's a muscle that you have to train. Yeah. And the summer we didn't, I didn't golf very much. It was just an anomaly of a summer. And, um, when we're kicking it back up this fall and I texted you, I think I said, oh my gosh, I was so disappointed in myself because it came flooding back all those negative thoughts and everything that happened. And I just remember I've got such deep seated habits on these thought patterns and mm. I need to practice this because it's like a muscle you have to train yes. and you have to make the, the positive thoughts, the new habit. Correct. I, I talk about like bringing the microphone away from the thought that we don't like the shitty thought that we've given the microphone to so much, we got to pull the microphone away and give it to the thought that we want intentionally. But we, it's also knowing that it's always going to kind of be there wanting to take the microphone. If we let it, if it, it depends on how long it's been there, but if we let it, it will take the microphone back. And it's not a problem when that happens. It's just our brain doing what our brain does. And if we make it a problem, like we've gone backwards or that we've lost it all, you know, kind of thing. And we're starting over. That's not the case. It's just our brain doing what our brain does. And that's it. It's like a water stain on the ceiling that you paint over and it creeps back in every once in a while. Um, it is a muscle to build. And so it'll come up. You might have crappy thoughts that come up, but they last so much shorter because you've built up this skill of being able to mentally pivot. Pivot, pivot, even simply by saying, uh, -uh no, that is not useful. That right. is not helping me. And yes. then trying on the next thought that I can believe. Yeah. Trying it on. That's exactly the way mm -hmm. it is. And sometimes we have to keep trying on thoughts until they work, which brings me full circle back to what started with your driver, which was just, it's possible I could hit a drive a fairway today, or maybe I can hit a fairway today, even though they don't sound like amazing thoughts, but they're so much more useful. And empowering. And golf is so much more enjoyable when you can go through a round and have, you know, positive, hopeful thoughts you believe mm. and then can execute. It's a lot more enjoyable. You're more right. relaxed and um, it's huge. It's a big yeah. pivot. Yeah. And then at the end of the round, knowing that you're not going to beat the crap out of yourself. That's huge. Yeah. To have your own back and show compassion. Oh, Holly, I always love talking with you. We have, we have lots of good laughs, great yeah. conversations. And so I, and I've loved seeing your, I want to call it your growth, but also just your, the peace around you is so evident on and off the golf course. You're just so much more calm and content and peaceful, I think is the best way to put it. What do you think? Lighter. Lighter. Yeah. I just, I'm, I'm lighter and I'm more at peace with myself. I'm just nicer to myself. And yeah. I, you know, you kind of just, you start to realize like, where did that kind of low self-esteem come from? Yeah. Chew through that a little bit and find all the great qualities you have and, and realize that everybody has a lot to offer in the world. Yeah. You know, and why was a little white golf ball defining me? 
Yeah. Right. I seriously. Right. It wasn't worth it. No, no, for sure. It wasn't worth it. It's so, you know, when you said, where does it come from? I think we just get into habits. Like, mm-hmm. it's just like, it kind of just slowly being unintentional for so long. It just builds up and our brain, our brain starts to just believe it more and more. Just like I was talking about next thing you know, you're like going, okay, I feel really crappy. Like what just yeah. happened? Right. Yeah. It's just like, it'd be a slow little process. And the undoing is a process too. Like we get in a hurry to just rush out. I just want to feel better right away. And you can like, that's, you know, we can buffer over things and feel better right away, but for it to stick and for it to really affect on a deeper level, more than just your golf game and the rest of your life, you, you got to buy into the process and learn the skill, as you said. And learn the skill. And another skill that, that was a huge takeaway for me is kind of identifying a feeling like, oh, you know, I feel defeated right now. And where do you feel that in your body? Hmm. And just kind of owning it and being with it, letting it pass and then moving on rather than like you said, once like a beach ball and shoving it down under the water. Yeah. It's still always there. Yes. Just let it happen. Let it flow. Let it move on. And you know what? It's not so bad. It's like, it's like we worry so much about like, oh, I don't want to feel that emotion. It's going to get out of control or it's going to be horrible. And we end up suffering unnecessarily through that whole time, which could take days and weeks for sometimes versus t- spending a couple minutes and going through it. And then you can move on and start thinking and move it, carrying on with your life. That's a better, yeah, such a better place to be. All right. So what's next for Holly? I'm fortunate that I get to be a snowbird and yeah. head down to Scottsdale and and kind of um, play some great amateur golf. And <laughs> so it's really fun. social, social for me. Just, yeah. you know, I realize I love the social aspect and that's really why I'm doing it. Which and if you it, love the social aspect, then it's going to be so much better if you don't worry about what other people think. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. Right. Yeah. Stepping into that. Well, I look forward to coming down and meeting all your people. Yes. I can't I wait. Yes. So fun. So thank you so much. And uh, I appreciate you coming on the podcast and sharing with everybody your experience and the things that you take away. I think a lot of people are going to be able to relate to it. And of course, I look forward to staying connected with you forever and ever. Can I just say too, um, it took courage for me to reach out to you mm. and make in, you know, our initial discovery call. It takes mm. courage a lot for a lot of people, I think, to sign up for a round of golf if they really dread it too. But um, yeah. so worth it. I'm so glad. Yeah. Uh, you were such a tremendous help and yeah. um, you're not through with me yet. I'm sure. Yeah. Well, thank you. And you're right. It does take courage. I always admire people who sign up for the call. I'm like, I'm not so scary, but it does take courage to make that call. And I'm glad that you did it. I appreciate everybody who does it. So um, yeah, thanks for pointing that out. So, yeah. All right, yeah. Holly. Thank well, you. Good to, good to talk to you, Kathy. Thanks yeah. again for yeah. everything. Yeah, always. All right. Well, there you have it. I hope you got some insight listening to Holly on how she's transformed her life on the golf course and off the golf course. And if I can help you, or if you're interested in scheduling a discovery call, reach out to me at kathyhartwood.com. Have a beautiful week and I'll talk to you next Wednesday.